welcome to this week's edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. We will explore God's Word to learn how we can live by God's grace and for His glory. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Here's your host, Noah Hooper. What are you to do when life stinks? How are you to respond when trials come? This most practical book of James begins with one of the most practical issues we face, life stinking. Moreover, it begins by revealing how believers should respond when trials come. He doesn't just address the reality of it, but he calls us to the Christian response when life is not good. We don't evade avoid or escape trials. Instead, we can count them as all joy. We can see trials as fully joyous. And this doesn't make sense unless you understand that God has a specific purpose in them. When you compare the glorious end of the trial to the means of the trial, you can rejoice in them. So let's read this text, James 1 verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Before we dive into the Christian response when life stinks, we must begin by introducing the author and audience of this book. Verse 1 introduces us to these people. James gave a brief introduction to get into the book, so I just want to give a brief introduction as well on this verse so that we can get straight into the book. The author of the book of James is most likely James, the half-brother of Jesus. He's identified as such in Matthew 13, 55 and Mark 6, 3. seems that these half-brothers of Jesus didn't believe in him before the cross, but did after the resurrection. And James was one of those people that saw him after his resurrection. He would go on to become the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Now, there are many Jameses throughout the New Testament, but seeing that James, the brother of John, was killed by Herod early in the book of Acts, and very little is known about the other disciple named James, the son of Alphaeus, James, the brother of Jesus, is the fitting author of this book. The interesting thing, however, is that he reveals none of this. Instead, he simply told us that he was a servant of God in Jesus Christ. That's the author of this book, a man who grew up with Jesus, who saw Jesus after the resurrection, who became the pastor of the Jerusalem church, simply identified himself as a servant. This bond slave of Jesus was writing to the 12 tribes that are, quote, scattered abroad. This is likely a reference to dispersed Jewish believers, as James' primary audience throughout this letter is believers. Regardless, there is an important takeaway from this verse. They were in the midst of trials. They were dispersed, scattered, and afflicted. This is the group he was writing to. And with that in mind, the first section of this letter seems even more fitting. There was perhaps no more relevant or practical issue these believers were facing than what he dealt with in these verses. That is, of course, trials. Now, you may wonder where trials are in the text. We see trials in the word temptations in verse 2. Now, 
you may see that as a potential problem because when we think of the word temptation, we think of enticement to sin. And of course it is. For instance, verse 13 points out that kind of temptation. However, that word is not the same here. Rather, this is about putting to the proof. It is about testing. You see, there is a difference between the word for temptation in verse 2 and the word for temptation in verse 13. The word for it in verse 2 is describing a testing of our faith through adversity. But verse 13 is talking about when we are enticed to sin. So there is a difference here, and that is how we see that James' focus here is on hardship, adversity, and difficulty. It is something that everyone faces. So in James 1, verses 1 through 4, he deals with specifically what our attitude towards trials ought to be. He wasn't concerned with all of the outside details about what is coming and how it is coming. Rather, he was concerned about how believers respond when it comes. This is the manual for how to respond in the midst of trials. This is not a formula for a specific trial. Rather, it is a prescription for what our attitude ought to be towards every trial. And what is that? We are to count it all joy. This is a command to rejoice in hard circumstances, to rejoice in inescapable seasons of hardship, to rejoice no matter what form the trial may take. This is not easy Christian living, but you and I can live out this truth by understanding what this passage teaches us. And this passage teaches us how to count it all joy by answering three questions for us. And the first of that is, what is the nature of trials? We see the absurdity of this admonition by answering the first question. In verse 1, James says, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Verse 2, that is, in this verse, James describes the nature of trials. They are inevitable, inescapable, and assorted. He began by revealing that we will get into trials. They are inevitable. He didn't say if, he said when. This passage doesn't prepare us for a hypothetical problem. It prepares us for an inevitable problem. In other words, trials are going to come. Then he went on to show how we will get into trials. So he tells us, you're going to face trials. Then he says, here's how you're going to face them. When ye fall. James used the term fall to describe our entrance into trials because that is exactly how we enter into them. You don't fall intentionally. You fall suddenly and accidentally. It comes without your knowledge. In other words, you don't put trials on your calendar. They don't come when you expect them to come. More than likely, they come when you least expect them to. Death, job loss, and heartbreak come like a freight train with no headlights. Trials come, and you don't know when they will come. Moreover, he tells us that they will come in many different ways. Trials are assorted. He says, when you fall into diverse temptations... The word diver simply means diverse or various. In other words, it is not just one kind of trial. You will face trials unexpectedly and inescapably, and to make matters worse, you're going to face many different kinds of trials. 
as a fruit basket contains an array of apples, bananas, oranges, and pears. Trials come in many shapes and sizes, except trials are the exact opposite. Instead of being a delicious basket of fruit, they're an assorted basket of death, sickness, financial trouble, spiritual attacks, persecution, and so on. It is in this cornucopia of adversity that James urged his readers to count it all joy. He prodded them to rejoice when life stinks and they can't do anything about it. This description of trials is so important because it reveals just how absurd this command seems. Rejoicing in trials doesn't make sense unless you understand something about trials that transcends the pain of the trial. Verse 2 is a call to rejoice in them, but verse 3 gives the reason why you and I may rejoice in trials. Without verse 3, this is nothing more than mere hype. This is nothing more than mere hoopla. But with verse 3, this is biblical Christianity, and verse 3 answers our second question. What are we to understand about trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience? We can count it all joy when life stinks because we know that the result of the trial is so much better than how bad the trial may seem at the moment. When you compare what you are to know about the trial to the experience in the trial, you can rejoice. You can rejoice because you understand that there is a reason for it and it is good. In this verse, James pulls back the shade and allows the light of God's truth to shine in our trials, revealing what we may understand about them. Notice, we are not made privy to the specific details of why this happens, why this happens and why that happens. Think about Job. Job was not privy to the conversation between God and Satan. He didn't understand everything that was going on. And you and I do not understand most of everything that is going on, if not so much of what is going on. But we do understand this. We can have this general look into why the trial is doing what it is doing. This verse reveals what exactly hardship, adversity, and difficulty are doing. They are trying your faith. He said, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, they test your faith. They put you under pressure so that your faith will go stronger, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Trials come to put our faith to the test, not to see if it's real, but to give it greater endurance. This is what is meant by worketh patience. It comes in the words of Arkin Hughes to bring toughness. In other words, trials come to make us stronger in faith, but you have to be tested to main, be made stronger. We'll look at that more in a moment, but this leads to our final question. How are we to respond in trials? So we see the DNA of trials. We see what we're to know about trials, but what about when we're actually facing trials? In verse four, it says, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. This verse reveals what our response should be in trials. On the under, other end of the trial, you may stand back and rejoice seeing how God worked through the trial. Before the trial, you may say, oh yes, I understand what God desires to do through trials. In the trial, however, you have to be determined to endure. Verse 4 reveals what we are to do when the bullets are flying, when the swords 
are flashing and when the ground is trembling, you have to endure. If you will be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, a further description of what worketh patience is all about, you have to let patience have her perfect work. In other words, you cannot just want what the trial comes to produce. You have to be willing to allow the means God has ordained to bring it about. Think of it like this. Suppose you'd like to become incredibly strong. It won't just happen. You have to train. You have to tear the muscle fibers through weightlifting so that they become stronger. Many may want to be strong, but few want to do what it takes. You cannot, however, become strong unless you are willing to do what is necessary. You may want the end, but unless you're willing to face the means as well, you will not get there. And that is exactly what James was writing about here. We know that trials come to make us stronger in faith, but if we will go grow in Christian toughness, we have to face hard things. You cannot get to where God desires for you to go unless you are willing to walk on the path that God has ordained for you to walk. So then, you cannot just know about what the trials come to bring. You have to believe that and live like it when the trial is raging. This is the manual for how to respond in trials. But if you will respond like this in the trial, because James doesn't just say, okay, here's what you need to know about trials. He's saying, here's how you live while you are in the midst of a trial. And if you will live like this, if you will count it all joy, you have to look beyond it. Here's the hope of it all. One day, the trial will end. It doesn't last Forever. One day the sun will start shining again and God will have accomplished what he desired to accomplish in you through it. And even greater than that, one day the trials will end forever. Every trial that comes to refine you a little bit more into the likeness of Christ will one day be over. You will be completed. God's work in you will be finished. And I can guarantee you with the full assurance of Scripture that you'll not look back on a single affliction and think that wasn't worth it. That didn't make me more like Christ. This, it wasn't really worth it. Instead, you will look back knowing that God accomplished everything He desired to accomplish in you through each trial and it was worth it. The key to counting it all joy when life Stinks is by setting it against the glorious light of eternity. One day the trials will cease. One day we will be finished, but that day is not yet here. Now we face trials. Now we are being transformed through adversity. We know, however, that there is a reason for the cornucopia of trials. There is a reason for why you lost that loved one. There is a reason for why you are facing that financial difficulty. There is a reason for why that relationship is broken and you feel like, I don't know what to do in this. There is a reason why you are facing all of these different adversities and you don't know what to do. I have no idea what you may be facing or what you will face, but there is a reason and we are being transformed through the adversity. There is coming a day when the end of the trial is going to be known that it is so much better than how bad the means of it may seem now. So when you are in the trial, whether that is now 
or in the future. You can count it all joy. You can look a trial straight in the eyes and say, I know that this isn't going to be fun because the Bible never tells us trials are fun. When James says count it all joy, he's not telling, calling us to a blissful ignorance. Rather, he is calling us to objective hope, knowing that there is a purpose in the trial. And because of that purpose, we can let patience have her perfect work and endure it. Because we know that God's purpose in the trial is so much greater than the trial itself. So we can count it all joy. Trials come to bring about the greatest end that can come about. Therefore, we can count it all joy. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Taught by Grace podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I hope you will consider subscribing and leaving a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to it on. So I hope you will join me next week on the next edition of the Taught by Grace podcast.